When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to everybody, this is your host, Chris Perenni, bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. Special guest, my dog just opened the door, but I'm also joined today by Jordan Williams, as always. How you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm good. I can't complain. Uh, it's not Thursday, so I'm not as good as I could be, but I'm getting there. Can't, uh, Buckeye football just happened. Uh, NFL's on tomorrow, right? Yep, the NFL season starts Thursday. Uh so it's going to be big. It's big Thursday. I'm good. The Bills uh, are football on Friday. Uh, oh yeah, there's yeah. I'm good. Then, I'm good. Yeah, four straight days, so we're good. Once again, we're we're to the point where uh, five out of seven days of the week it feels like, or five consecutive days at a time you can watch football for the most part. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I can't say that my fiance does, but like, yeah, no, that's what I was about to say. It's not the time girlfriends, their fiancés, or wives, or significant others like very much. No, and it's like, but it's our time. Yeah, once once you get into the groove of it, it'll be okay. But like the first couple of weeks and then the last couple of weeks like the first couple of weeks they never remember that you literally watch football from midnight to midnight and then the last couple of weeks it's like it's been three months yeah it's still going on something else but like yeah by like week four we'll be in a groove we'll be all right it'll be good um ohio state you know we've had a long week to digest what happened last saturday uh it, it was it was a great I, – I, I'll call it a great performance for a week one. Uh, maybe, like, offensively, I think we talked about it on the Instant Reaction show uh, that the offensive struggles were, I'd say, partially on Ryan Day as a play caller in the first half especially. And then, you know, losing your number one target in Jackson Smith and Jigba in the second series, you know, losing Julian Fleming in warm-ups who was supposed to play. That's – you're down two – pass catchers you were expected to rely on heavily and that thrust two guys who probably needed a little bit of time to get comfortable and overall i think as a performance like you can say i I think it went as well as it could given all the circumstances 
Yeah, and and I said it once before, and I'll say it again. I think me and you tried to do a decent job of like remembering that they were young wide receivers. But I know even myself, I got a little carried away in the hype. And this is not to say, yeah, this is not to say that they're not going to be good. But like we got to remember that Jackson Smith and Jigba wasn't, you know. 200 yards, 10 catches week one, he worked his way into the season two. And so it takes some time to build that, um, to build that chemistry and to build that repertoire and to really know each other. And so I think the combination of all of that, uh, and again, that Notre Dame, again, for people that listen to the recap show, Notre Dame was very, very well coached on defense and, it didn't feel like, which it'll feel against most teams, even I think Michigan in the secondary, um, definitely Michigan State, maybe even Wisconsin in the secondary, it didn't feel like Notre Dame was super under-talented for the players that they were playing, right? Like, I think for the most part, they played us pretty well, and then you add in the other things, and it's like, well, this is kind of the performance that you get. And, yeah, I think... Obviously, you want to see more. We would have loved to see 50 points, but I think they did play very well, all of them. I don't. I can't – I mean, who had a bad game? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't even say. Like, I don't think anyone on the offense necessarily had a bad game. I couldn't – like, C.J. Stroud, I'd say, managed the game incredibly well. It was a very NFL quarterback type of game where, you know, you just kind of do what the team is needing and then you make a couple of huge throws – in clutch times, I thought the offensive line, especially I felt like the offensive line didn't gel a lot in the first quarter, but after second quarter, like halfway through it, you could really start seeing them leaning on Notre Dame quite a bit. And then you take that another step further. Once he got to the third quarter, Ohio state's first series was a joke, three passes, three incompletions. And then at the next series, two runs to Mayan Williams, 12 yards. And I think from there on out, they're like, Hey, the defense is playing smash mouth football on the offensive side. It's time to start playing physical. We're wearing this team down. They've been on the field all game. They're not substituting a lot of guys and you can see it by the end of the game. Uh, this is where Mayan Williams running style is so important to Ohio state. You know, Travion Henderson's hard to tackle. He's shifty. He's quick. But when those guys are tired, when those guys have their hands on their hips, when they have their hands on their knees, like I don't think Mayan Williams is someone you want to tackle when you're fully energized, let alone when you're in the third quarter of a game and this offensive line keeps hitting you in the mouth. And then at the second level, you're running into this bowling ball of a player who's just, he just won't go down. And, you know, that's what I want to see a little bit more of. I think this, the next few weeks before the Wisconsin game are a huge opportunity to build a little bit more report with the receivers for Stroud. And then I think this overall, uh, before we get into our actual last look back at Notre Dame, I just want to highlight Jim Knowles one more time. He had yeah, this absolutely. had this stoic confidence about him all offseason. It was incredible. Uh, we bought into it very early. I'm not sure everyone was really sold like we were from the jump, but man, did that defense, every level, uh, the defensive line, the linebackers, the secondary, they all played well. And, you know, like looking back on it, on their scoring drive, the second that I think it was the third defensive line was in, and it took a miraculous catch where the ball bobbled around three or four times 
before they even had any momentum going. So you take that drive out, like it was an incredible performance by the defense. Absolutely. Um, and before we move on, going back to the offensive line, um, Isaiah Folkski, not, I mean, he, he had no impact. Uh, he had four tackles, and I couldn't tell you which four tackles he had. Zero tackles for a loss, zero sacks, zero QB hurries. That is an excellent shutout performance as a team. Notre Dame only had one sack, two tackles for a loss, and they had no QB hurries all game. It's just one sack, two tackles for a loss. For reference, we had three sacks, six tackles for a loss, and one QB hurry. And we did that in, I mean, how many plays? I, I wish I could see on these stats how many plays they ran offensively. Yeah, well, it was but like 48. Yeah, it was 48. So in 48, 49 plays, we had, you know, we had three sacks, six tackles for a loss. And one QB hurry. They had one sack, two tackles for a loss, and our offense played more. So, I mean, the only quote-unquote bad game would have been Dewan Jones for the false starts. And I don't know. I heard a fan theory. You want to hear it? I do want to hear it. I love fan theories. So, I heard a theory that maybe the false starts, at least a couple of them, were intentional because two of them happened on two sideline catches that were questionable. And if you false start, they can't review because it's on to the next play. Even if you try to quick snap it, they can call it dead and review pretty late. But supposedly, if you false snap it, they can't do it. And so... I can't say that I thought that happened. I can't say that Ryan Day would or would not call that or that that was intentional or that the players would know that. I'm not saying it happened. But if you want to feel better about it, you could say, you could say, yeah, you could say we're playing 40 chess and that they called, you know, uh, Ryan Day gave the signal to false start so that they uh, they didn't review those catches because I'm still not sure Mayan Williams' catch was a catch and I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. one of the full starts happened after his catch it, it it definitely isn't something I've ever thought about before but I, I know like occasionally fan theories come from an astute place where someone learns a rule and they watch for it every time like you know there's always that one fun fact you have that you're like Anytime something happens in the game, you bring it up. That that's like yeah. that's those fan theories. Like, hey, you false, you could have done that on accident or on purpose. You know, this is strategy. This is something I think coaches are doing now. It's like used to be fall over, act like you're cramping. Now it's now you can't do that no more. False start. I mean, hey, I'm not saying it happened, but I'm not saying that it didn't happen, and we'll just leave it at that. I like it. All right, twenty-one to ten, Ohio State hammered them. We will talk about Arkansas State today, but I, I think me and Jordan, you know, we wanted to have some time to mull this over, you know, because I think everyone can assume that this Arkansas State's going to be a learning game for everybody. You know, this is the type of game where you hope you get to see all the backups, and if you don't, it's a colossal failure. So we're going to just go on this show with the assumption that it's going to end up that way. We're going to talk about Notre Dame. We're going to get some presser stuff, just see what the coaches were saying about it, what they're looking forward to. We're going to give you an Arkansas State report. Then when we're all done with that, we're going to give you stuff you could learn from this matchup. But we're just going to go off the cuff with that, with just stuff we like to learn. 
But to get started, I, I like one last look at Notre Dame. Uh, in my rewatch, I took some additional notes that were, you know, not film related, but just kind of what I was getting a feel from in this game. And I, I, I kind of want to just start here. The defense, as good as advertised, question marks what I put. You know, everyone's saying, hey, Notre Dame's offense, it might not be good. Um, and I'll, I'll get us started here. You know what? Tulsa's offense wasn't good last year. And Ohio State gave up 501 yards of total offense. I mean, so that's all you have to say. I don't even need to respond to it. All you have to say is Tulsa's offense wasn't good. <laughs> you said it right there. Um, I mean, there was a lot of offenses that weren't good that put up a lot of points against us. Um, so I don't I don't think, you know, saying if or if they weren't good really matters for the fact of what this defense is. Yeah, and I, I think it, it goes into it goes to show like Ohio State, I think you can trust that their offense is gonna find its rhythm, it's gonna find its way pretty soon, pretty quickly actually. And these two games, uh, Arkansas State and Toledo will help that. But looking at the defense, I, I, I think you needed that win early. You know, Notre Dame's a big team, uh, and Ohio State plays a few big teams on their schedule. And I think it's something I've heard said a lot this week. It's the same guys, like, on this defense. Like, there's not a lot of new faces out there. Uh, there's a lot of veteran players. There's a lot of guys who were in the mix last year. The only and, new face is literally Tanner McAllister. Yeah, and all it looked like you could have told me, like if I wasn't a football fan and I walked up to that game and you showed me a video from last year, all the numbers were gone, and some clips from this year, I'd be like, oh, so they got 22 new players. Yeah, how many transfers did they have? Like, you know, and that's not what happened. And I'm and it's sure a part of it is definitely, you know, the second year jumpers for some guys, but and this is not revisionist history because anyone that's listened to this show for a while knows how I felt about those coaches even before it got bad. I can't say confidently that any of those guys would have had second year jumps under the people that were there. Yeah, and like overall, like when I'm looking at this defense, what I love to see from a defense, physical at the line of scrimmage, I, I think the defensive line, the first two defensive lines did it incredibly, and I just think the third guys were a little bit overmatched by Notre Dame's offensive line. That's okay. They're the third guys. Like You want them to be able to help you out in games like next week, the week after, in some of the middle Big Ten games, you know. But we know once it comes down to it, we know who's going to be on the field. And I think Jim Knowles made that very clear with his rotations, which we're going to get into a little bit more. But I want to see that. I want to see physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, that was all three levels. I don't know how the safeties and stuff were physical at the line of scrimmage because we're not used to seeing it, but they were. I want to see a lot of hats to the football. Uh, it always felt like there was five or six guys in on tackles for the Ohio State Buckeyes this week. And then I just want to make sure it, it needs to look like everyone's in the place they're supposed to be. And one thing I'll say, like, yes, Josh Proctor missed the tackle and he was a little late to rotate, but he was still in the general area. And then after we saw Lathan Ransom do similar stuff where, hey, we're bringing this cornerback. We need the safety out there immediately. And once you saw that in place, it didn't feel like the defensive structure or integrity was ever in question. It didn't matter what Notre Dame was trying to do. It didn't matter what they did motion-wise. There was a check. There was a rotate. Hey, we're shifting here. And 
it felt like there was an answer or a counter to everything Notre Dame did offensively. And those are the three things I'm always looking for. And they had zero of those things last year. And that's why I think this defense is good as advertised. I agree. And I don't know if this is going to come up in the presser bulletins. Maybe I missed it. But, uh, oh, no, it's not on here. Uh, Jim Knowles said that they were pretty, you know, vanilla. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, if this is vanilla, this is, uh, you know, like I think I used the analogy undergrad versus masters. This is already masters level defense from compared to what we had last year and all the stunts and twists and, and different blitzes and stuff. And it's like, okay, if this is vanilla, what is not vanilla? Like, what are you really going to pull out? And so to have that performance, and, and here's the thing. Against any level of competition, even against Arkansas State, it's hard to force six straight punts. It's hard to make a quarterback go two for ten. It's hard to make them hold them to two point five yards per carry. It's all of the statistics you can go on and on and on and on and on. It is hard to do that against anyone, um, and so. But especially as you increase the level of competition, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Notre Dame's offense is amazing. I already told you I didn't think that they were a great team. They earned a lot more of my respect than I had going in. But we've seen bad Ohio State defenses give up more to worse teams. Um, We watched Northwestern in that Big Ten championship game. This Notre Dame team is better than that Northwestern team that we had a couple that we played a couple years ago where they were putting up points and and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, whatever. It's Notre Dame. People like me and maybe some of you listening don't think that they were that good. I think that they were better than I thought they were going to be, especially on defense. But the defense still did something that it would not have done last year. And that was supposedly vanilla. And to your point with the third defensive line and things like that, there were some players rotating into that game that aren't going to play in really important games. And you can say Notre Dame's an important game, but it's still week one. And so coming into camp, you want to see all these guys play. I don't think Javante John Baptiste is playing an important game. I don't think Cody Simon's playing an important game. He didn't do anything when he was out there yesterday, uh, last week. So the rotation is going to tighten. The, the The defense is going to become less vanilla. The you know players are going to be more cohesive in the calls and the structure and all of that kind of stuff. So if this is game one, imagine what it looks like game 12. Because nobody's perfect game one. So imagine what it looks like game 12. Yeah, absolutely. I think that could lead us into our next conversation about players because you brought up a few guys who were probably not going to be significant contributors by the end of the year. But Tommy Eichenberg, Mike Hall, Lathan Ransom, watching the game again, those are the three guys. Like And like in the second tier, you've got, I'd say, Ronnie. And it's not because Ronnie played bad. I'm just saying like these three guys played at an insane level against Notre Dame, Tommy Eichenberg, Mike Hall, and Lathan Ransom. Ronnie Hickman was incredible. Tanner McAllister, I think, for a guy – a lot of people question like how good he was coming in. Like, uh, he was like a uh, small time recruit. You know, he wasn't even an all conference guy at Oklahoma state. I thought he held his own very well in that matchup as both a run defender and in pass coverage against guys like Michael Mayer. Did Tanner uh, play against Notre Dame or did he transfer before? I think he had, I he think played, he played against right? Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think so. so. Uh, yeah. So he his last two football games against Notre Dame, two wins, two and zero, good for him. Two OSU's beat 
MD twice <laughs> with Tanner McAllister. That's I don't think you could look at that in history ever again. One player playing for a team with the two same initials beating the same team twice in back-to-back games. No, nah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think we just need to go through these three guys, talk about them, because I know we've been wanting to talk about these guys all week. And I, I know you guys listening, it's Friday. You guys have probably heard a lot about Notre Dame. But I know you don't want to hear about Arkansas State. So no. we're going to keep talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to apologize for half a second because this next couple of minutes, I might be slightly insufferable and it's fine. Uh, maybe it's not fine, but I apologized already. Um, it's our podcast. <laughs> yeah. I just have to say that me and you um, and me specifically on a couple of these guys called this. Yeah. We have been on the Tommy train. I think we said it before we started recording. We have been on the Tommy train since January. Anyone listening to January the show? First. Anyone listening to the show knows that as the months went on, the confidence in Tommy kept growing to the point that I did what I said I wasn't sure if I was going to do. And I predicted he was going to be the first middle linebacker, first linebacker to have a 100-yard tackle season since Raekwon McMillan. I've been telling everyone about my call since he got recruited. Yeah. And I remember we did an early he, show. And like, no one's talking about this Mike Hall guy. He's like 65th in the country. Why is nobody talking about this Mike Hall guy? And the cra- I looked it up. He was actually 53rd. Yeah. Very it's- absolute borderline top 50. Could have switched him with any of the three players in front of him. He would have been top 50. And I, I was, I'm not going to lie, because it's the same thing with Tommy E. I'm a little biased because they're from Northeast Ohio. And there's a little, there's a little, there's a little something in the bloodlines of Northeast in the Ohio. There's something water up there. Uh, partially, partially because, you know, we play real football in the cold, in the snow, on grass stadiums. We don't got money like some of these other places. Although Tommy doesn't count because Tommy went to St. Ignatius. So he doesn't count. But he's still from North. Yeah, he still has yeah. to play in the cold because he, he's right on the lake. So, you he's know. He's to play on grass a little bit. Yeah, you know, some of the teams well, they traveled. In. And my calls from Streetsboro. So I, I, that I'm not going to lie. I'm a little biased about that. But it's just like my call is the type of defensive line that player that we haven't got. Yeah. Like if you look at it, if you look at it, all the top 50, all the five stars, all that kind of stuff are DNs. And then except for like Teron Vincent, and then most of our D tackles are like 80, 90, 120. Not that they're bad players, but we're not really getting the 53rd player in the country at defensive tackle. And I'm like, my call, my Still call. on the South. And, and then you hear, you start to hear the rumblings. You start to hear people talking about it. Everybody's mentioning them. And we get on this show and we tell you, Mike Hall, Mike Hall. And then we didn't talk about Lathan Ransom as much. But I do recall we said saying multiple times. He just he needs to play in the right position. And that's it. Like he's talented. He just does not be need. To, he just does not need to guard Jahan Dotson. He needs to be an in the box safety. And I feel a little justified. That's all yeah. I got to say. I feel a little justified. So, like the fact that, like I didn't even like I didn't highlight these because we've been kind of on these guys the whole off season for the most part. I highlighted them because they played incredible. It just happened to be the fact that we sometimes know a little bit about what we're talking about. And we both played football for quite a long time and been around coaches at the college level. Um, 
we've heard them talk. We know what they say about players. We know how they talk about players. And the way they were talking about Tommy Eikenberg, the way they were talking about Mike Hall, and the way Jim Knowles was talking about Lathan Ransom, like Jim Knowles specifically talking about Lathan Ransom. Just bringing him up. Just yeah, unprovoked. Like just, hey, this guy's been awesome. I love this Lathan Ransom guy. Like he's been showing up. He's been showing out. And, you know, Tommy Eikenberg, I tweeted it out today. Uh, then the Football Writers Association of America voted him the linebacker of the week, the Bronco Nagurski linebacker of the week. Mike Does Hall, that come from Football Writers of America? Yeah, or is that yeah. two separate ones? Yeah, it's the FWAA's award. Okay. Uh, Mike Hall, uh, I don't even know. Like, I don't think we need to say much about him uh, Like, from the award standpoint. Defensive tackles don't get awards. They, no. get, they just get glory. And... When he made that sack, when he had that sack at the end, I was like, "This is this is this is a coming out party." Uh, did we say this on the instant recap show, or is this just us when we were just talking? Like, you know, Larry Johnson was talking about an alpha dog on the line. Uh, it's Mike Hall. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think we did say it. I think we said it. I know for a fact that I I wrote it in my big yeah. thoughts column. I literally searched the the. I put the whole Jim Knowles quote in there, and then I was like. <laughs> I think that was my call. <laughs> like, yeah, I uh, yeah. I think that's it. actually where it was. Yeah, I think it was from Big Thoughts that I saw that. That's just how intertwined my brain is. Lathan uh, <laughs> Ransom. Uh, I, I just think you know they use the hot hand analogy. I don't think we've had a safety play that high a level like Mm-mm. in multiple years. <laughs> Even reminded- Jordan Fuller esque, honestly. But honestly, what it really was is it was, it was, um, oh my gosh, why do I always do this? It was Ryan Shazier at safety. Like, there was a couple Ryan Shazier uh, um, games where it's like he was all over the place. And that's how I felt about that Lathan Ransom game. Couldn't I don't look at the screen can, without seeing him. Yeah, I don't even think you can compare, especially because he really did essentially play it in the blacks linebacker. You can't compare even the uh, Josh Proctor, not Josh Proctor, Jordan Fuller, or any of the other safeties because he did it so differently. But it, it literally was like Ryan Chazier, like, okay. How did you get from one half to the other? Like, Ryan Shazier was never the biggest linebacker, but he would have, like, the way Lathan Ransom hit Michael Mayer, where he went back, Michael Mayer went backwards. He wasn't even able to lean forward and stretch the ball. He literally got drove back. That's something that Ryan Shazier would have done. And obviously, I understand the careers are different. The positions are technically different. But that's the that's what I think of when I think of that kind of dominant defensive performance. Absolutely. Yeah, these three guys, I think the, you have these guys. Like Tommy Eichenberg came on that blitz, and I it felt like, Again, this isn't to disrespect Tommy Eichenberg because Bobby Boucher might be the greatest college football player of all time. <laughs> but, like, when he came off that – when they did the stunt and he came around to the inside and he just had the – had the like, the Red Sea was parted, uh, I, I literally could not get that image of Bobby Boucher running with that noise out of my head that he makes. It's like the, <laughs> You guys know the one I'm talking about. That's, like yeah. – that's how Absolutely. I saw that play happening, and I can't like that play is an incredible highlight, but I can't watch it without laughing now. Um, and and one of the interesting things about Tommy Eichenberg is nobody's going to sit here and tell you that he's the best athlete in the world. But part of the reason that like I knew he was going to have a good year is Tommy Eichenberg is the prime candidate for. Oh, he's such a leader. He's so smart. He's always in the league. You know, like the he's yeah, not really the tough player, player in conversations. Kind of thing. 
and when they were talking about him, they weren't they were talking about his actual attributes and what he does on the field. It wasn't like and this is not to disparage anybody, but it wasn't the Court Williams. It wasn't, oh, he's just such a good leader. And if you think about it, Court Williams didn't really play. Did not I play. Didn't snap, I, I didn't look at the snap counts, but I don't remember him out there at all. And you I hear all the hype. The defensive snap. Yeah, you hear all the hype. And I'm like, Court Williams not that good, guys, despite what they're saying. But everything that they said about Court Williams is, oh, such a good guy. He's always a leader. He's so It was never he runs a 4-3 yeah. and, and is knocking dudes back. Um, once, I, once I heard the way Jim Bills was talking about Lathan Ransom, I'm like, all right, Court's probably going to wait another year. Yeah, uh, or transfer. Unfortunately, because I, I mean, I think he's a good guy. I just don't think he's the guy. I don't. I, I'm not sure if he's even a guy, but um, not for Ohio State. But the thing, so you've done this. I'm sure you've done this, but especially I've done that linebacker. You ever hit someone so hard where their body evaporates? It feels like. Yeah, or you don't feel like, the hit yourself. Yeah, and like. That's what Tommy did on that sack. He couldn't yeah. even wrap him up because he hit him and dude crumbled. And you just saw Tommy's momentum just like carry him a couple extra yards because he crazy. hit him so hard that like he didn't fall on him nothing. And like that's a hit. That that is a play that even being high on Tommy. Yeah, Tyler Buckner is big and he's a good athlete. And he fell. He like fell to the ground. Like he was at like. He's like, there's no way get, I'm getting out of this. He just dropped to the floor. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Uh, it's just great call, speed, execution, and I did not even expect that from Tommy. And I've been I've been saying his name all summer, so yeah. that is a, a very good sign. Yeah, for sure. All right, the defensive line lived in the backfield to me. Uh, it felt like even if they didn't make the play back there, they were always making running backs cut earlier than they wanted to. They were always forcing – Tyler Buckner to get rid of the ball quicker than he wanted to. Uh, the defensive line, I think, I think the first two groups, I, I'd feel very confident in, honestly. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that 100. Um, percent The first, and so what? I, the I first make group, sure. especially Jack Sawyer, um, Mike Hall. Was it Teron Vincent with them a lot of the time? Yeah, I think so. Yep. And then obviously we- JT. Uh, then second so group, Zach, Zach Harrison, which probably the only defensive end I feel confident in right now behind the two. Yeah. And I, he was moving well. He was moving a lot better than I think he was last year. Um, and then, like, I like Jerron Cage, but I think Tyleek Williams and – Tyleek played a lot. He man. didn't get a lot of snaps, but he was in the backfield. He was he, he didn't get a lot of stats. But yeah, he was. But he was. Uh, he was again. Yeah. He was wrecking the middle. I think there's. Um, I think there's a. I think there's a top three. I think there's a top three defensive lineman. I think there's a top three defensive tackles. I think yeah. it's JT, Jack, and Zach, and then I think it's uh, Tyleek, Mike, and Teron, and then there's a slight drop between them. And obviously, you need four players to rotate, so there is yeah. a fourth guy who's going to be in there. But I think it's those three in each of the in each of the positions that are really kind of like. The guys and I did I see it right that Mike Hall played every defensive snap? I, I let me. Four. I saw I saw a guy. I saw an article that and there were three or four guys. One of them was a safety. It wasn't Lathan, so I think it was Ronnie. I think it was Mike, and maybe it was Tommy or yeah, some. Or, no, it was Denzel and like two other people, maybe three other guys that played every snap. And I think Mike would have been one of them. 
Yeah. This is oh, with, without. Yeah, it could be him. I'm trying to find the snap counts right now. Um, but it, it was really a performance where all these guys were, you know, just yeah. kind of doing their thing, especially the top guys. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the interesting thing to talk about um, while you're looking that up is, first of all, Larry Johnson is flexible. Um, he is not a bad coach, so he is able to, you know, get his guys to do what different coaches are asking of them. Um, and I don't know if it was a Kerry Coombs thing or, or where it came from exactly, but last year's defensive line was a lot of kind of wait and see. It was a lot of like – you know, keep the guy in the pocket. It wasn't aggressive, which is why the sack numbers kind of reflected that in a lot of areas. Um, and so this year's defensive line, that is not how they play. They play Jim Knowles wants them to be disruptive. I think yeah. Jim Knowles would be perfectly fine if no one on his defensive line made a tackle all game. But they disrupted every puller, every blocker, reset the line of scrimmage and let the linebackers and safeties. And obviously that's just never going to work. But his defense is it, they like, for example, they in most cases, the defensive ends don't have contain. Um, I don't want to you know, speak like anyone is stupid, but just in case you don't know what contain is, it's end men on the line of scrimmage. You keep your outside arm free and nobody's allowed outside of you. And yeah, a lot that of was usually the safeties. Yeah, and a lot of defenses, that's the defensive line, not in Jim Knowles. They are aggressive, and either the linebackers come outside or the safeties have outside contain, um, and that allows them to just free up to hit yeah. any and any any and everything that moves, and that is it different is. than last year. Gap sound uh, integrity football, and it really worked incredibly well for them. Um, but yeah, looking at the snap counts, uh, Tommy was the only one who, or Tommy and Ronnie played all 50 snaps. Tanner McAllister played 49 snaps. Uh, so 50 snaps is what 11 Warriors has for the total on defense. Uh, Teron played 33. Mike Hall played 30. Tyleek played 15. Ty Hamilton 11. Then Jerron Cage 9. Okay, so I was way off. But also, I got that from somebody else. And so maybe yeah, so, they just have different snap counts. Um, because I, they definitely said three guys, but who was it? It was Ronnie and who else? Uh, Ronnie, uh, hold on, hold on, Denzel and Tommy. Ronnie, Denzel, and Tommy. Okay, so yeah, I probably made up the Mike Hall thing then, which makes sense because a defensive lineman playing every snap doesn't make sense. But hey, Ronnie, Denzel, and Tommy do it. Makes boy sense. Yeah. Bro. Hey, listen, you ain't never lied. <laughs> Uh, all right, next one. Uh, this one's a quick one. Does Ryan Day need to pass the sticks? Uh, yes. I'd say yes uh, if it wasn't to Kevin Wilson. Yeah. So here, honestly, I would be fine with him as a play caller and keeping that. He, more than anything, he needs an actual offensive coordinator. He needs someone who can challenge him. And yeah. I, I think he needs someone that can, you know, and this is hard when he's the head coach, but he needs someone that can. I, get, I don't want to use challenge again, but someone that can like almost get into an in-game argument with him, like can hold him accountable. Yeah. And if you think about it, 
Kevin Wilson's not doing it. He's old collecting a paycheck. And not that he's not good at his job, but he's not getting hired a lot of places, especially the way Indiana ended and his age. Brian Hartline doesn't have the credibility. And honestly, like, again, this is no shade, but he hasn't done the entire offense stuff to really be able to question him. Honestly, neither has Tony Alford, although anybody in that room, it should be Tony Alford that, can, should, that should be able to do like, that. Why aren't we running the football more? Yeah. yeah. Keep and then dropping eight. it's absolutely not. Uh, why am I forgetting the? Uh, it's not Coach Dennis. And I wrote a whole art- article singing his praises, but he's not doing it. So there's nobody on that offensive staff. Yeah, it's definitely not the new guy, really, Justin Fry. Yeah. There's no one on that offensive staff who can tell him, like, hey, coach, you're being soft. Like, that's the wrong play call that can really kind of like challenge him. And I kind of get why he doesn't want to do that consistency. He wants it to be his show, whatever. But I think he needs a young, up-and-coming offensive offensive guy. I don't know if you'll ever get one because most of them are going to want to call plays. But you need to get somebody that's really going to bring some new ideas and really going to be able to challenge you and stand up for himself and, and yeah. stand up for his convictions. And I'm just not sure that that's happening right now. Um, and if that's not going to happen, then he just needs to entirely give him up. But again, not to Kevin Wilson, so he still needs a new offensive coordinator. We honestly just need him to have like an alarm when all the fans are on Twitter saying, hey, run the ball, they're dropping eight. We just need to have like an alarm system outside the stadium or like a bat signal like, hey, it just says run the ball. And I think if we could do that and – you know, maybe like you know, Ohio State has an explosive passing game, but you know what's the best thing for an explosive passing game? The established run. If you're, yeah. if you have teams on their toes because they're like, oh my god, I have to go hit this running back right now. Those are going to rip off seven more yards and get another first down. Guess what? You throw it right over top of them. Yeah, and not only that, uh, a short passing game. Um, and this was a critique that I issued with Justin Fields. He never gave Justin Fields an outlet. No. Justin Fields' shortest wide receiver was essentially an eight-yard hitch. Yeah. Like, but it was always out route. Yeah. Yeah, and it was always an eight-yard hitch that was across the field. Like, it was always like he had to go from hash to hash, you know, to get to that other hitch. And there was never really a leak out. There was never a tight end just right there. There wasn't a lot of kind of, you know, um, guys in the flats, that kind of stuff. And he still does a lot of that. Like, a lot of his play calls take to, like, take four, five, six seconds. And you just don't always need that. He does not believe in the quick passing game, it seems like, which is crazy because he was the offensive coordinator for uh, Dwayne Haskins, right? Yep. And they and ran a lot of that. almost all Dwayne Haskins yeah. did was – and it's just like he just – he's like, all right, Dwayne's not here no more. Everything is 10 yards deep or else. Even his crossers, they don't cross flat. They cross deep. Like yeah. on the on the Ameka Ekbuka one where he on the third down where he missed, he would have caught that ball at like nine yards instead of five and cutting it back up because they go across the field at an angle and they yeah. don't cut across flat. And it's just like those are little things that someone needs to be like, hey, let's not do this. Like let, yeah. let's give him a guy, let's give him a check down, and let's change some of these to a little bit shorter route concepts, especially in the beginning to get a little bit of rhythm. So your first pass of the game is in a 12-yard out across the field. 
yeah, and to build on that, I think one thing I mentioned was like, hey, you know, these kids were five-star receivers, but, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were first-round picks. There's a big jump from five-star receiver to first-round pick. And guess who sits in that hole and doesn't try to one-hand the ball on the run? Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, and they pick up 12 yards. Yeah. So those are just like the little things that we're going to need these receivers to learn throughout the season. And I think they will. It just comes from like Emeka Ibuka is never going to overrun that hole again. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, there are only two wide receivers who are draft eligible, right? It's Jackson and Julian. Emeka's not. Marvin's not. Jaden nope. Ballard's not. Nope. And everyone else is younger than them. So, yeah. like, Saber Johnson is. Yeah, yeah. Watch so out. It's like, <laughs> so, it's like they're young and it's going to come with time for sure. Uh, they're getting a lot of time in their sophomore year, but. Yeah. But, like, Chris Olave wasn't a finished product as a, in his first starts. Uh, Garrett Wilson wasn't. So it's just it's just there's a lot of things to look at, and it's first game, so we're learning a lot. And then last thing uh, before we get to the pressers, Mayan Williams Dog. can't sing his praises enough. And, you know, you know, a lot of people were, like, saying what happened, where's Travion? Travion ended up having a really solid game. I think he had more yards than Mayan still. Yeah, he had a greater yeah. yards per carry, and he had more yards. It's just it, yeah. it's exactly kind of what it's you want in a tandem. Yeah, it's just that one drive is the one that we're thinking about, and it was kind of like what uh, to you know steal a bit from what we're doing in the next segment with the pressure. It's like what Perry Eliano said about Lathan Ransom. He was hot. Travion Henderson started. Yeah. Travion Henderson started that drive, but Mayan came in and then he made three big plays. And I was like, "Well, we're not taking him out now." Um, but yeah, dog. You know that video of, of the uh, the guy at football practice, and he's just like naming players on his team, and he's like, "Dog, yeah, dog, yeah." Like Mayan Williams, dog, dog, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think he like personifies that. Uh, and like, I remember posting that that tweet a few weeks ago like before the season started it was when that meme was going around with the x-ray and it had the bunch of pit bulls inside the x-ray <laughs> yeah. and not a lot of people said Brian Williams and I feel like if I tweeted that out now he's yeah. the only response I'd get yeah I think it's uh, I think it's hilarious that the Ohio State <laughs> that the, the official Ohio State Twitter um, tweeted that and it's like alright y'all got some young people in that room cause that was I thought that was funny <laughs> yeah it's incredible uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, we got JSN's injury. Luke Whippler in the boot. Uh, doesn't seem like Luke Whippler is going to be out any extended period of time, just from the way it sounded like they were talking. Like, we're going to need Josh. Josh is going to play. Uh, that's taken away from the next segment, but it doesn't. It doesn't sound like he's coming out. And then JSN. It doesn't feel like they're going to rush him back. So by that means, probably not this week. 50-50 for Toledo if they want to get him game reps. And then 100% he'll be back for Wisconsin. I think he'll play Toledo because you don't want to play Wisconsin without game reps. Obviously, JSN can do it, but Toledo should also be a game where he's only in for a half. So I think he'll play. Yeah, but just it's to one get of those the pads back if, on, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if at any moment he feels anything, they're like, all right. You're done. We need You're you. We yeah. need you in November. We could get through September. The, the only bad thing about Jason not playing is he's not going to break the record. He can miss one game, but you start to miss you start to miss two or three, and it's he like, needs at right. least thirteen games to do it. 
Yeah, so. Uh, and honestly, Notre Dame was a miss, so that, that's the one. So, needs a couple stats need, against Toledo. He needs some of these Arkansas State-Toledo games where he can get 175 yards in the first half. Yeah, three catches. Uh, well, yeah, and there goes the Devontae Smith two Heisman prediction I had going, but that's fine. That's like, like awards aren't what this team's going for. They'll, absolutely not. They could get them, but it's really about the long-term goal. So, JSN's injury, we're thinking about it short-term because of our predictions, but Ohio State's going to think about it long-term. And that's what they should do. And even longer term than this season, because as much as you want to win and, and things, and yes, that's very important, he has an NFL career behind him. And this is like this is not the, oh, he should sit out like take. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get that twisted. But you also don't want to rush him so bad that he can't have an NFL career because you did long-term damage to him. Yep, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't think there's any injury news we didn't know about. Uh, those are just kind of the two that needed updated. Uh, we get started in the press or takeaways with the first couple. We'll go to break, then we'll hit the second couple. Um, Ryan Day had a lot to say. I mean, most of it was kind of... The thing is, uh, with this, Ryan Day does a radio show once a week he does a media report he does the media availability on i believe it's tuesdays like he talks to the media or he talks a lot and it's always he says the same thing so you don't learn that much more each time he talks and it's incredible how well he is he's good he's one of the best coach speakers i've ever seen yeah uh, but, yeah, I think one of the ones I think he was talking about the defense here. He said, I think you're going to see more depth played moving forward. Uh, moving forward, you've got Arkansas State and Toledo. So I think that's where the moving forward ends. And then Wisconsin, I think you'll see a little bit less of depth played. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, we don't have to, I'm not trying to jump too far. I just need to say this. I can't wait for the Wisconsin game because we were amazing against the run but they got Braylon Allen, so that's going to be the test of all tests. And if we can hold him under 100 yards, even if it's 99, even if it's 99.99, which doesn't exist, I'm going to be ecstatic. But anyway, um, yeah, I I think it makes sense to see some depth. Um, Is there anyone that you're looking for that's not – CJ Hicks, you cannot say him. Uh, <laughs> Anyone yeah. else? Your guy, Kai Stokes, for sure. Um, I'm excited to see him. I'm hoping to see the young corners a little bit. Uh, if it's not Jordan Hancock due to health, just seeing J.K. Johnson, uh, seeing Jair um, Brown, right? That's it. Or am I confusing him with the Penn State safety? No. Penn State's is J- They're both Jair. <sighs> It's brown. It's brown. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm good. It's uh, brain. There's a lot of players in the college football. Uh, but I, I, I want to see the young secondary. You know, I don't think we're going to get to see them a lot after these next few games. I think we're going to see Ronnie Hickman. I think we're going to see Josh Proctor. I think we're going to see Lays and Ransom. I think we're going to see Tanner McAllister. That's what it feels like at this point. Yeah. So seeing the guys behind them. Uh, that's that's important. I, I really feel like Cam Brown should be on a pitch count this game. I don't think you need to waste his snaps here, especially after he played near 50. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just really one of those things. I want to see. I just want to see backups, honestly, all of them. I want to see what we've got, both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we have a five-man rotation at safety. I think we have... 
a three. And the third one's hard, but a three-man rotation at linebacker, and then defensive line's going to rotate because that's that's what they do. That's what they but do. I, I yeah. think, ah, man, I feel like Cam Martinez has to get in there. But maybe it's really just a four-man rotation with Josh, uh, Lathan, Tanner, and uh, – Yeah, um, and I know week one, obviously, Tanner was for sure going to be Jim Knowles' most trusted nickel. Because he's playing for him. For, is different. Yeah. And I think as the season progresses, like, this is a big opportunity. Cam Martinez could earn some trust here. Tanner McAllister already has all the trust banked up. He was a multi year starter for Jim Knowles. Cam Martinez needs to bank, bank a little of that, and you get the opportunity against Arkansas State. Yeah. And I hope he lives up to at least my hype because I'm on the bandwagon. Yeah. Next up, a big story was Josh Proctor getting taken out of the game and then never really seen the field again outside of special teams. Um, he said, Ryan Day said, we're going to need Josh. Josh is going to play a lot for us moving forward. Uh, it kind of goes, uh, we could honestly bring in Perry's quote about this too. He said it wasn't planned for Proctor to play that few snaps. Uh, both will play big roles this season. And, yeah, overall, I just think they went with the hot hand, like you said earlier. And there wasn't a lot of snaps. 50 snaps in a defensive game is not a lot of snaps. Usually, you're probably hitting that 60, 70, 75 mark, depending on the pace of the play. But it felt like the clock melted out of that game pretty fast. So, really, uh, Lathan wasn't getting a lot of overworking when he was out there. It was three and outs to two chain movements at best. So I, I really think Josh Barker will have a role. So uh, I don't, I don't think a lot, I, I don't, I didn't take a lot from him not playing that much. I just think short leash, big game. Lathan Ransom was playing well. Yeah. Um, I agree. Honestly, I didn't take much. Out of, I didn't think much about it until I listened to high street freaks. And I'm not saying that those guys are right or wrong. or know what they're talking about. I don't, but, um, one of them was at the game and said that from his viewpoint, it looked like, uh, Josh Proctor didn't really know the plays or where to line up. And it looked like Tana McAllister was kind of like almost like physically having to put him into place and so that's something to worry about obviously you don't really get to see that on the tv copy but being in the stands that's something that you could pick up on so it's definitely something to kind of watch out for but i can't say again that that's right or wrong or that it did or didn't happen so for my for my limited knowledge and for the talent he has i and for what the coaches said i fully expect josh proctor to be out there um the one thing that I do have to say and why I think it could have been slightly punitive is when they talked about it, they talked about taking Tanner off the field and, and creating that second linebacker and Tanner stayed. So like because in, in reality, most people, I think, going in would have expected the safeties in a big matchup. And even me, because I'm not good at noticing who's on the field. I just think it's really hard. I assumed it was Proctor. Uh, Ronnie Rocket and Lathan Ransom because it would make sense to take off your small nickel against a big power running team and they didn't do that. So I'm not trying to, you know, put Stokes in the fire, but that's the only thing. Unless Tanner is just absolutely killing it, that's the thing that 
has me questioning it the most is that Proctor was the one they took off the field and not your nickel corner, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a, a fair point in that regard. I, I just think, you know, first game, we're going to learn a lot. The coaches are going to learn a lot. We don't get to see what goes on in practice and the preparation that goes into it. Uh, I think we'll learn a lot if Lathan Ransom's the first safety out against Arkansas State. Uh, I think that'll say a lot from where things stand. But I do think uh, they said Proctor came in. He was preparing incredibly well. He was great on the sidelines. Uh, so I, I do like, and I know a lot of coaches do this, but the meeting with every individual player, that's really something I like to hear about Eliano and all that. Uh, just kind of going through the film individually with all of them before they do it as a group. But it, it was a impressive game from the safety unit. And I, I think once we get back from the break, we should just talk about Perry Eliano a little bit. Listen, I'm down. I'm with it. Good guy. All right. Well, we'll see you guys after a word from our sponsors. And thank you to the sponsor. We're back. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing another episode of the Book Off Podcast. Land Grant Land, joined by George Williams, as always. Oh, we're, we're getting into some of the presser stuff. Uh, we, I, I, we heard everything Sunday night. You guys have been hearing this stuff all week, so we don't want to go too deep into, like, all of the quotes, everything that was being said in the press conference. It's just more there's some fun stuff to talk about from what these coaches said. Um... Next thing uh, I kind of wanted to mention because we didn't finish Ryan Day. Uh, he said CJ and all the receivers have been working hard to get on the same page. Now you just have to get it on the field. Day says we know that they can do it. Now they just got to do it. So to me, uh, that is a little bit vindicating. Uh, the CJ and the receivers have been working hard to get on the same page. That just comes from them not having the level of experience that the receivers had last year. And they do have to work together, and they do have to grow together. And this is a different sort of environment. Because last year, CJ was relying on the receivers to help him out. This year, the receivers are going to be relying on CJ, which is something we mentioned a lot in the offseason. But just overall, I think that is a reminder that reloading does happen, and I think you're going to see more of it. But not everyone gets to reload and play against Utah State or uh, Colorado State immediately. They have to play real teams at the start. Yeah, and we're one of them. Back-to-back years, real teams. Um, I like it, personally. And it's going to be uh, – we haven't talked about this much, so we don't have to, like, actually get into it. But it's going to be even better with the 12-team playoff because you can suffer a loss and not lose – your ability to get into the playoffs. Yeah. Notre Dame, after that loss, would not feel any different about their chances to make the playoff. Nope. Which now, is part of the reason they went for it, because currently Notre Dame has to be undefeated. But an 11-1, and one, and in some years a 10-2 and two Notre Dame is getting into the playoffs. And the thing, if we had a 12-team playoff this year, Notre Dame would absolutely get in, because despite the fact that they're not good, Notre Dame is going to play a top 10-ranked Clemson, most likely. Um, they're also going to play USC, who is going to be ranked. Also, not sure that they're good, but if they get those wins, there is enough narrative for them to overcome that um, if there was a 12-team playoff. And honestly, 
if more than one team has one loss, which is the way Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia looked, I'm not sure more than one team is going to have one loss. Notre Dame potentially could have a chance this year if they only had one loss. I don't think this is going to be the only loss, but just in general. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, I just think offensively there's going to be some chemistry stuff, a lot of turnover there, uh, new starters on the offensive line. Uh, it's just it's going to be a work in progress, and that's why these two games are very important. All right, uh, the last Eliano quote, I think everyone's kind of been talking about it, but it was incredible. I was more proud because we were tough. We were physical. They felt us. We're talented, but that only gets you so far. Um, the emphasis on toughness. You know, during the offseason, it kind of made me cringe a little bit because we've heard it so many times, like you need to have this edge, you need to be relentless. And then last year, that was the same conversation. You need the edge, and then it just never came. Uh, So hearing that for nine months was annoying, uh, to say the least. And hearing it after the Notre Dame game when you win because of it is incredible. Complete flip of the switch. And I'm with Perry Eliano. I, I don't think – I can't – I think the last time Ohio State won a game being tough was probably that Northwestern Big Ten Championship where Trace Irwin ran for like 300 yards. Yeah. They exclusively won that game because of toughness. Yeah, because Justin Fields had a odd His worst game of-, of his career. Yeah. And, you know, I think they were tough in that following game against Clemson, but – we got a little bit of that electricity back that makes Ohio State what they are. Um, so now you've got the toughness instilled. I think Eliana was emphasizing what a lot of the coaches were emphasizing. Like, hey, we grinded this out. We got a huge top five win. We're moving forward with a big sense of pride in what we're doing, what we're building. You know, because I think one thing a lot of people don't realize is coaches put this entire offseason in teaching these kids teaching these players what to do. And you don't know how it's going to turn out in that first game. You don't know how, like, once you get between the lines, once the ball's kicked, once the clock's real and the records matter, you don't know how they're going to take to that. So the coaches must be incredibly proud right now because they took to the toughness. They took the challenge of the offseason. Hey, we need to be a tougher football team. And they won a game with that toughness. Yeah. Um, speaking of toughness, and I could be making something out of nothing because this really doesn't it could not matter. I really felt the way that uh, Perry was talking that toughness is like ingrained in him, and it was not a oh you all were not tough last year, so you need to be tough. I feel like when Ryan Day talks, it's very much a like we weren't tough, so we're emphasizing it. I feel like Perry like it just came off like. He's like, we're gonna be tough. Like it just, it just came off like that was just kind of his, his mentality, uh, with everything to begin with, um, which is kind of refreshing. But again, could be making something out of nothing. Um, yeah, I Bill do want Perry. Uh, I, we were all intrigued why he was the safeties coach. Like, oh, you coach the two best corners in the country, like at the group five level. He's coming in to coach safeties. I, I have no questions about that at all anymore, ever. That's funny that you said that because I was I literally wanted to ask you a question about that. Um, before I do that, I want to make one more Lathan Ransom point just because it relates to Perry. They asked when did Perry know Lathan was ready, and he said, um, which we didn't talk about this. Paris Johnson Jr. had a great game. 
And the same thing was said about him and Donovan Jackson, who also had a good game. And separately, different coaches, obviously. Um, Perry said that he knew Lathan was the guy and that he was ready when he would come out and Lathan in the summer would be in the in the on the practice field by himself. Like as soon as he got cleared to run and jog and be able to do stuff, that he was out there by himself working on his footwork, working on his technique. And he's like, I would just sit out there and I wouldn't even say anything. I would just watch him. And he he's like, he didn't have to do that. He was doing extra work on his own. And that's when I knew that we could, he was something. And then it was like, and then we get to camp and he's just killing it in camp. And that's kind of, you know, how he knew he could trust him. And I think that speaks a lot uh, to players being self-motivated and, we didn't highlight Paris Johnson Jr. at all or Donovan Jackson, but both of them had amazing games too. And those are yeah. similar things that we had heard in the offseason about them. But I think that's especially important with Lathan, especially coming back from the injury. And he missed all of the spring, so he kind of needed those extra reps and he, and he kind of put them in himself. Um, so, yeah, but to get back to Perry, I was going to ask you a question. And so I love that because we didn't talk about this, by the way. We didn't talk about this beforehand. It's not in the show plan. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, I wonder if Perry is the safeties coach because in a lot of our opinions, he was the better coach, the younger coach, the more dynamic. And this is a safety driven defense. I wonder if Jim Knowles identified him. It was like, that's the guy I want coaching my most important position where in most cases it's the opposite. And you think the corners coach, the DBs coach, that's the head guy. I wonder if there was like an intentionality around it of like, I know he can do it. His corners were tough. They were physical. He's a great teacher. Like this is the guy that I want teaching the most important t- position on my defense, which is how I know I wasn't looking at it. And I don't think many of us were looking at it because we were just trying to figure out why the guy who had just put two corners in the NFL draft was coaching safeties. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I just thought about that. I was thinking about it today, you know, just kind of going through it. I'm like, yeah, Perry Eliano, Sauce Gardner, corners. But the safeties were probably the best unit on the field during the game, in my opinion, at times. Uh, maybe the D tackles, but I when they the linebacker, you know, they were all good, but the, the safety stood out. They were well coached, they were organized, it's a complex defense, they have a lot of responsibilities. I'm gonna and go I, with I'm gonna go with safeties because I saw two uh safeties that you could potentially consider small rock a six foot five NFL first round draft pick corner. So I'm good yeah, with safeties. Works with me. Um, but yeah, I do think you bring up a point. Like the dy- he he's a dynamic coach. He's a dynamic personality. He every time he's spoken to the media, him and Justin Fry have that like they have a little bit of that head coach to him. You know, oh, there's don't that confidence. Say that. I, mean, I, I I have to because it's really what separates Perry to me. And you know, I I think with Tim, I think you could expect a little bit of a longer tenured coach at your corner position. Perry, you know, unfortunately he's going to be seeking defensive coordinator employment before we know it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. Jim Knowles probably did identify him and said, this is a young dynamic coach. I like the way he organized his corners. I like the system he's coming from with Luke Fickle. Like it's a very similar structure defensively. And I think he could really coach extremely well. And he obviously interviewed for the job with Jim Knowles and Ryan Day. And it was one of those things. I think I, Ryan Day said it himself that like him and Jim 
That's funny. Um, <laughs> him and Jim, Jim and him. Uh, yeah, didn't know Perry before they offered him the job at all. Like they had never met him before, and they had just seen his trajectory as a coach. And they were like, "Hey, are you interested in this job?" And they interviewed him, and they came away impressed and brought him in as a safeties coach. And uh, I, like breaking down the skill sets, like I think the way you watch the Cincinnati corners uh, is very similar in a lot of ways to how the safeties play at Ohio state with the mix of aggressiveness, the structure, the maintaining your integrity and coverage, all that stuff, the, that stuff. And then like Tim Walton is one of the best coaches at teaching man to man coverage principles and teaching that you're out on an Island. Like we saw, Jalen Ramsey's early, early career was they, like Tim Walton was his coach and he was one of the best corners in the league and he's still great but like he was I, I, I'd turn on a game to watch him because he was playing that well and I think you just look at the skill sets of the coaches and I think they just somehow matched and made this coaching staff puzzle fit perfect together yeah, um, I, I agree 100%, and I think they deserve some credit for that. But I do think that maybe getting that safeties job should be I, – I, I don't know that anyone thought it was a negative, but I think it should be more a positive than anything else, um, that he was entrusted with Jim Knowles' safeties. It's a high-priority position to coach. And Jim Knowles wouldn't just trust anybody with it. So that, that means Perry Eliano was steps above the rest of the people. Yeah, this is an off-season conversation, and I don't know how we never actually got into this conversation, but um, Jim didn't bring any of his guys. He only brought his GAs and analysts and and things like that. And he had a lot more money. (laughs) Yeah, but like a lot of people get a lot more money and want to bring their guys. He didn't. I just think I think that's a a conversation to have this off-season. But when when you see. Oklahoma State giving up 44 immediately uh, to Central Michigan. Maybe maybe that's why. And granted, Jim Knowles did leave at the correct time because you would have had Tanner McAllister back, and that's about it. Uh, his star linebacker last year was actually a star on Hard Knocks, Rodrigo. Yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm Rodriguez, yeah. Stud. yeah. And that was fun. I was like, hey, I've watched this guy on film. For six months, <laughs> multiple times, I feel like I know him very well. Like I knew this guy would be a star. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the last thing—I I don't think we need to get into anything specifically. CJ Stroud said, but I do want to emphasize this: like he's allowed to talk, and it feels like he's speaking very freely. And it's a big change from last year. Where I felt like. Uh, there's you have all these media restrictions and stuff. They're letting him like exude his personality. And I don't think we got that a lot last year. And it's been fun. Yeah, I think b- both them letting him and his confidence and things like that. I mean, I don't personally I don't ever want to miss a CJ Stroud interview ever again because he explains a lot of scheme. And his interviews, and he does it very so simply Um, too. Like uh, when I think he misunderstood the question, Bill Landis asked him a question, and I think he maybe thought Bill Landis was saying it was a bad pass, but it gave us an amazing quote, so it doesn't matter. He explained the entire reason why he threw the ball behind Emeka Egbuka on that route, Uh, and it was literally like. And, and it's like perfect recall. He was like, well, number eight was out there. He was like, uh, Travion Henderson's man ran with it. 
number eight was right there. If I would have threw it to him, he would have got creamed. If I would have threw it over here, it would have been knocked down. Um, and I didn't want my guy to get killed. I didn't want the ball intercepted, and I didn't want it knocked down. So the only place that I could put it was here, and we just got to work on it so he knows that it's there. And it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. Now that you explain it like that, and I think I understood that. Some people who pay attention and things like that and, and really kind of know that kind of stuff. But for someone with an untrained eye or who just wasn't paying attention or whatever, like, man, CJ Stroud threw a bad ball. And then he gets out yeah. there and then he explains perfectly why. No, it wasn't a bad ball. And in like the three seconds that play took, I thought of all of this and then put the ball in the yeah. perfect spot. That's high level quarterbacking. Yeah, I don't want to humble brag here, but when I saw him throw that ball there, I knew immediately what he was doing as a former receiver who didn't want to get killed. You know. Uh, but uh, joking aside, it really is his high-level thinking's coming through his – I mean, he's talking a little bit openly about injuries. Uh, and Stroud says if we needed him that bad, Jackson would have played. Uh, Ryan Day is very tight-lipped about injuries. I think it's funny because – I was listening to some of the other podcasts in the Ohio State like podcast arena, and someone was bringing it up. And he, he, Ryan Day said, "If I answer that one, I have to answer it about every single player. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to answer any of the questions." Uh, and I get it. If I was Ryan Day, I would never answer a question about injuries, even if yeah. like you know you want to talk about them and stuff like all that. Like he'll give you injury updates, but he won't ask specific questions about them. Uh, he, CJ Stroud, is not. Ryan Day, he's ready to say, hey, yeah, he's got a hamstring issue. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, but that's what happens when you're definitively QB1. You get to talk a little bit more. And I'm just excited because, like you said, I've never missed a CJ Stroud press conference again. Um, Mayan Williams, best friend on the team. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't know that. That's really cool. So. Yeah, and then uh, I love this on Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's not out for the season, thank God. So I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. just a, he's just, funny dude. Just the a first guy. game one was that one. That one made me laugh hard. Yeah, and he just that like subtle pause, <laughs> unless they're bumps. <laughs> yeah, that, hey, I will say this: Bryce Young played at Modern Day. DJ Uangalele played at St. John Bosco. CJ Stroud played at Rancho Cucamonga and they're a very decent public school, but they lose a lot of kids in their area to St. John Bosco to modern day to those Catholic schools. Uh, CJ Stroud, he's been, he's been having to lift up teams for a while. And uh, that Bruce Feldman article we've been talking about, it's incredible read. And this is why like Bruce Feldman, I'm always like, what does he even do at The Athletic? He does the podcast, then he'll come out with a story like that. I'm like, oh, this is Bruce Feldman. (laughs) I think he he, – just learning about I think he CJ. survives off the podcast and off the freaks list and after yeah, that and it's just he, like whatever else you can provide is fine yeah and it's just learning about CJ where he's come from the like direct comparison to those two guys in his area and how all three have like taken three different career trajectories is insane to me you know Bryce Young came in you know, lit up the world immediately. CJ Stroud kind of had to struggle a little bit through that injury to start. And then DJ for all, I, I, I I think, I I don't think all of it's on DJ. I do think Clemson's offense is a little, it relies a little bit on the quarterback being 
more than just a guy who stands in the pocket. He need to get him out moving. We've seen their successful quarterbacks get all get out a little bit, and that's not DJ. Uh, but three kids, Southern California. CJ gets to talk a lot more now. Uh, get this guy on TV, some commercials. Maybe he'll be the NBC guy. He skips the NFL, just takes $15 million from NBC to be the new college football guy. Hey, I mean, he'd, he'd be great at it. I think um, – <laughs> Speaking of, I, I really just don't want to promote another person's podcast on here. But the podcast that I told you to listen to, he talks a lot about NIL and like how he's doing that and not letting the jealousy whole team suits. Uh, yeah, he didn't talk about that, but just like not not letting jealousy sleep in and that kind of stuff. You really learn a lot about him, so it's a, it was a good listen. He like it's crazy how much uh, players' personality can change from his first year to his second year. And Travion Anderson was kind of the same way last year. Once he started getting some big games, you can start seeing his personality come out a little bit yeah. more. Once Jackson Smith and Jigba got the earth, wind, and fire, you know, kind of uh, mantra, and he was on their level. You could see Jackson start talking a little bit more, but it's fun, man. It's fun seeing these players talk, and I think. There's definitely going to be some more intensive media training on what's cool, like what's not cool. Uh, But I think with NIL, with all the opportunities to make money now, you need to let these players exude their personality a little bit more. So people, advertisers, marketers can be like, hey, we really like this guy in his interviews. Like we see this personality. He could sell Rick Reichert cars. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, especially for quarterbacks. Like, obviously, this doesn't really, really matter. Nobody's drafting a quarterback with how good he is in the media, but it does allow fan bases to kind of get to know them and stuff, and it gives them media training because it's like you never talk in college, and then first-round draft pick, and you're in every media session and all these cameras, and you don't really get to practice. And so I think it's a nice little life skill that you kind of get as well um, because – a lot of these guys are going pro so yeah absolutely and it's just overall it's fun and like listening to the coaches talk it's robots they are so good at it that you you, you can't expect anything better uh, from a coach speaking standpoint than Ohio State coaches but Stroud he's letting loose and I respect it because he knows come whenever he's he's probably already announced for the draft he just <laughs> just yeah. playing The last thing I have to say about what Stroud said is he was like, I don't care about the stats. This is about winning. And I think part of that is because he's a he's a first round draft pick. And other part is he I think he as kind of expected, he took the uh, the losses pretty hard. So, yeah, and he wants he wants to win. He's a winner. He's not been in those situations to where he could win big and I think he's going to take that very seriously this year absolutely alright I think an hour and 13 minutes is long enough I think it's time uh, the Arkansas State Report let's get into it uh, so I was reading through my Athlon and the Sunbelt Conference only gets one page preview so it's not as intensive I checked into like all the other ones as well. Very much limited information on Arkansas State, the Red Wolves. And I wasn't going to their website to look through to see the total number of transfers. But from what I counted up in just 10 players who transferred and are going to be legitimate contributors on both sides of the ball as starters, like 10 out of 22 guys will be starting. And that's 
for sure. There's probably more. Uh, but that's just reading through the Athlon, highlighting names where they specify that they transferred, and I got to 10. And there's backups that played last week. So I think the number, I've seen a bunch of numbers, but I think it's like over 30 or so contribute or 30 or so players on their roster have played at other schools. Out of 85. So it's insane. It might even be higher than that. I don't know. But because uh, it's hard to find if they went to like a junior college before or something. So right. unless I went through everybody on the roster, uh, Arkansas State is not a first destination for a lot of players. Yeah, I, I don't think that's shocking, but they actually have some. However you feel about the individual coaches, they have coaches with names who can kind of pull some people Uh you know, that's yeah, what happens when you get a guy like Butch Jones. That That's a name that people recognize. And so, Butch Jones was a good recruiter. He just could not coach a lick. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they had the number two recruiting class in the Sun Belt, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, they had the number six transfer class, and they're bringing in a lot of transfers. So that's not a good sign. Uh, but... One of their players, Kevon Bennett, uh, I think Josh Dooley, uh, one of the writers for LGHL, highlighted him as the player of the week to watch for Arkansas State. He was pretty good, actually. Uh, And then their kick returner, who's also going to be their starting running back, he was kind of what I would refer to as an OW, an offensive weapon for him. There was not an offensive weapon for him last year, everybody. Uh, Two out of ten. Two and ten last year. One no this year, but... Um, Johnny Lang can play football. Uh, he returned a kick. He returned a punt. Uh, he's fast. He's big. He should be good. And they have a decent tight end. So uh, when you look into everything there, uh, they should finish ninth or 10th in the Sun Belt. <laughs> yeah. And that was the no. best I could do to build these guys up. Finishing ninth or 10th in the, in the Sun Belt's not really building them up. Yeah, they may want to uh, get new representation if that's what you're doing. And that's the thing; uh, they were 128th out of 130 in rushing offense last year at the FBS level. That is not good. If you guys know anything about stats, you want to be on the lower end of that. You want to be like 10 out of 130. No, yeah. that's just that's just a joke because that's how bad it is. It's 128 out of 130. It almost makes a whole number of a fraction. That's insane. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. And then uh, James Blackman, he in his 23rd year of college, <laughs> it, uh, literally. He, I'm pretty sure he was there in Jimbo Fisher's last year. He was. No. Was I'm, he there? I think so. I'm pretty sure it was him, right? That was a, that. That would have been his freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, because he started that game, and then he got mur- – oh, because he came in for DeAndre Francois after DeAndre Francois got his knee exploded. Mm-hmm. And then uh, – And he yeah. started there for like three years. Yeah, he played a lot, and it was not fun for him. He was literally in arguably the worst stretch of Florida State football. And how long? I don't know. It's been a while because Bobby Bowden coached there forever. But – it, it's it's wild that he's still there. And I remember when he got to Florida State, like, he had high hopes. He was from the area. He was from Florida. 
and he's huge. He's like 2017 to 2020. Yeah. So this guy, this guy's been through it. He's been through it all. Uh, And last year was not fun for him. Uh, The offensive line for Arkansas State gave up uh, the most sacks in the Sun Belt. Uh, They, yeah, 48 sacks in the Sun Belt. Mm. Uh, That's not good. 12 games. Uh, but Four I will say this. Game? Yeah, that's that's not good. Um, they did beat Grambling State 58 to 3. Grambling State, ah. for those of you who don't know, is coached by a former NFL coach. So uh, you know that's it's a very well coached team. But wait, there's ah, more. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. It was, was Hugh Jackson, coached. so <laughs> it was mostly so coached by an NFL coach. They weren't a well coached team. <laughs> uh, it was Hugh Jackson, so you know exactly who was coaching them. Uh, yeah, so Butch Jones, better coach than Hugh Jackson. That doesn't surprise me, actually. I cannot say that it does. Uh, which says a lot. And I, I, I'm not taking this serious at all. It's Arkansas State, guys. Like, Come on, I, I we should I should take it a little bit more seriously because crazier things have happened. But uh, I, I just Ryan think, Day would be slaughtered. We've never yeah. lost to this caliber of a team ever. I, I I think what I put in the show notes uh, beat Hugh Jackson coach Grambling State fifty eight to three. I said would expect that score to be flipped this week with Arkansas State losing fifty eight to three. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with that. So reasonably, uh, those are the aspects. It's even hard because it's not like a lot of these guys from Power Five schools played a lot. Like, so yeah. it's not like we can go look and be like, "Hey, Jordan Carmucci from Houston, he played a lot." No, like these guys didn't play a lot at the Power Five level. They're just former Power Five players and former Power Five recruits. Yeah, it's like the opposite of what Michigan State is trying to do, where Michigan State is actually some of them are like quality players from like the Power Five that like can like, you know, make something. And like they're just getting anyone from Power Five. They're like, oh, you're at, you, you're at the Power Five level. OK, you can come. You're at the Power Five level. You can, Like that is the requirement, not actually you being a good player. Um, which, you know, not to crap on former Buckeyes, but that seemed to be the requirement at UNC because a former Buckeye was getting uh, torched, torched by App State. Yeah. Sorry about that, late, John. Uh, but now we can see why Denzel Burke and Cam Brown are the guys uh, with definitive purpose and why Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson are the backup guys. Yeah. But it is wild to me, um, the amount of transfers. Uh, one of the transfers there is an unfortunate Ohio State connection, uh, former Ohio State player Brian Smeet, or Sneed. He was dismissed after um, sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, civil court, um, I believe it was reported last week by Cleveland.com that he was returning. Uh, I think they were the first one to really get into detail about it. Uh, it's 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 a story for sure. Uh, I I don't think it's something that sh- will be highlighted very much by everybody. But this is just an incredibly interesting dynamic where I I didn't think like you never expect a player who was kicked off the team 
to return to your stadium. And I think that's an incredibly weird aspect. And he's going to play. He played a significant amount last week. Uh, so it, it's just one of those things. And it, it, it should it should. Uh, it, it's just a, it's a tough story. Yeah, uh, but also I think that says a lot about Arkansas State and, and Butch Jones and things like that as far as the point I was making before where literally anyone that was at a Power 5 level can be on the team because me personally, I'm not bringing in anyone who uh, the moment they stepped foot on a college campus was charged with sexual misconduct, but like, you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely something for sure. Uh, I know. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough. It's not going to be a tough game for Ohio State. It shouldn't be at all. There should not be a sense of uh, worry at all. But I do. I do feel like um, it will be a huge game for Arkansas State to try to get some momentum. And it would be best if Ohio State took all that momentum. And you know. Um, that's just what it should be. Uh, looking at them from a perspective, like they're projected to go four and eight. Athlon had them predicted one eighteen. Uh, TeamRankings.com, the stat site I use, has them as the ninety second ranked team in the country. Uh, the spread is, I believe, forty five points. So, uh, I, I I'd take it honestly. I'm a crazy guy. Uh, you guys could, if I take it, take the opposite. So, uh, it's all all it's it's Arkansas State, man. It's not something, you know. Like I, it's not like Nebraska playing Georgia Southern. Like Georgia Southern's had a history of scaring some people. You know, uh, Arkansas State does it. Like they are the. You remember in the NCAA football game when randomly, like, the schedule would be random and you'd get FCS West on it or FCS North? <laughs> That's what this game is. It's just they're they're in the FBS, but generally speaking, it's it's basically a generic school put on the schedule because Ohio State needed a game after Notre Dame. Basically. I, I, like, I, I heard, like, I was listening to a podcast over the summer, Cleveland.com once a week did something where they talked to a beat writer from the area and there was some connection between athletic department and gene smith that like someone who formerly worked for gene smith i believe is at arkansas state and that's how this ended up getting set up well i saw something somewhere that one of the defensive coaches used to coach at ohio state or something i don't know who's on their coaching staff uh I didn't do any research on their coaching staff besides Butch Jones, which we all know who Butch Jones is. Uh, Tennessee, right? Yeah, that's Butch Jones. Yep. Uh, but overall, Butch Jones is not a good football coach. Uh, beating Grambling State is nothing to be excited about as an FBS program. Uh, and, you know, it's crazy. There's going to be schools that are merging from the FCS that are significantly better than Arkansas State in their first year in the FBS. So with all that being said, um, it's it's just a game where we're going to learn a lot. So I think we could transition to pay games. What can you learn from a pay game that you can't learn from a game against Notre Dame? I think you can learn. I mean, 
the the main thing that you can learn is I think the top level of your offense, right? Because there are some times when Ohio State is clicking, and I don't, what game was it last year? Like where they, uh, I remember Bill Landis did like a stat where it's like the offense was on the like they had like. 40 points in 40 minutes or something. It was just like a crazy absurd stat where they were essentially averaging like a point a minute or something like that. Like you can learn the top level of your offense. Like because if you're not executing, whether the team is good or not, you're not executing. So if CJ Stroud and them are not out by halftime and that kind of stuff, then it's like, okay, the offense still has some things to, to work out. Uh, and most importantly, I think you learn a lot about your backups because you still, especially against this team, you still want all of your backups to be better than every player on this team. Yeah. Like, so you, you don't want that level of drop off either. So I think those are some of the things you might be able to learn. Yeah, this game, if Ohio State plays perfectly, should be 42 to nothing at halftime. That's what it should be. A shutout by the starters, 42 points, a touchdown every series with the offense. What, seven series or six series? I think that's reasonable. Yeah, no turnovers. Um, no Couple turnovers. Uh, the one thing I will say, I could see Ohio State coming out a little flat on a noon game against Arkansas State. Like, it's it's going to be hard to get up for. Like, I was talking to my brother about it this week. I'm like, you know, we go from playing Notre Dame. It's like the biggest game. We've been thinking about it all year ever since Ohio State won the Rose Bowl. Like, let's see what they're made of with all these new coaches. And you get a, such a high from that game that you come back and you're going to play Arkansas State. Like, it's tough. It's tough for me to get up for. Like, I feel like I, I did a lot of disrespect to Arkansas State there in my preview for it. But also at the same time, like, I'm not the coach at Ohio State getting paid $9 million a year to get them up for the game. But I think I think the one thing that I remember when we play bad teams, uh, this was like the opportunity. Like every high school team that's been – if you've been on a good high school team, you know – these are the games that you play for the guys behind you so they get reps. They can get on the field. They can get their varsity letter. Like, that's pretty much what this is for. And if you could use that as motivation, like if you're a Mecca Egbuka and you want to get your buddy Caleb Burden on the field for the first time, like you play that first half hard. Yeah. And you play hard and you get out early. Yeah, you play hard. You in street clothes. Yeah, you play hard, you get the towel around your neck, and you rest the rest of the game. Uh, One thing we could learn from a matchup like this is a little bit more about the offensive line. We could learn who's the twos at each position. That's a good one. Would you you think Ryan Day – because Enoch Vimahi was the first one in a guard when Matt Jones had the issue with his brace. Um – Fryer was wearing the number 41. Uh, so I don't know if that made him not. But I feel like I feel like we've established the the eight middle guy, like the seven guys. I think it's it's Fryer and I think it's Enoch Vimahi. I think Enoch Vimahi's the interior guy. Uh, Matt Jones would move to center and Enoch Vimahi would be guard. And then if either of the guards went down, I think it'd be Enoch Vimahi. Uh, at tackle, I think it's set too. I think we know who the third tackle is, or this, yeah, the third tackle. Yeah, Josh, Josh Fryer. Yeah. So, 
overall, I think our seven's established. And to to credit, we were kind of hard. Like, hey, this is you know, if you might, it's time to prove it. He goes in. They run a, G, a GT counter. Amazing. Talk about development. And he kicks out the block perfectly. So I think you could really learn about what Ohio State's line could look like next year. I think you'd really learn a lot about what Ohio State's line could look like in case of emergency. And I think you can look at like this team should like Ohio State should dominate up front. I'm let me get back to their page real quick. Um, their their line. Oh, they don't have that. All right. Well, their line when I looked at their roster is not very big. Mm-hmm. So our defensive line and our offensive line should feast. Yeah, there's a there's a stat out there for you people who care about stats that talks about like how many yards your running backs average before contact, and a good one is around a yard, a yard and a half. Um, a great one would be like two, and I expect them to be at like one point seven five two yards before contact. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I do expect, I think that's something you could learn. Uh, defensively, I, I think we could learn how serious they are. You know, I think this is a game where Jim Knowles probably wants to pitch a shutout. I think Jim Knowles wholeheartedly believes his defense is capable of it. And like you said, I think the starters will be up to it. I think the starters, I think there's a mindset on the defensive side of the ball where they want to prove it every single game. Um, once you get to the backups, once you get to the third strings, can they hold on? Yeah, I think you can learn about the defensive line because, like, don't get me wrong, three sacks is good. But what did we say that they needed to get to 50? Uh, what is it, 15 games? It would have to be, like, three and a half sacks per game. Yeah, this is the this is the game where you make up that half sack. I'd like to see four or five sacks, maybe even six. I would like yeah. to just see them like feasting. Yep, and I, I think that's something like they gave up forty eight sacks last year. How close can Ohio State get to getting to forty eight sacks? No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, but it, it should definitely be something they challenge themselves to. Uh, and I will say, James Blackman's athletic. He gets out of the pocket and he gets rid of the ball pretty well, but let's make sure that doesn't happen. That's something you could learn. Um, what else? What else can we learn? I didn't write anything down. These are just things I want to learn from this weekend. Um, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown. I think I want to see if CJ Stroud and the first team offense take care of business. I want to see. Kyle McCord get legitimate reps. I want Brian Day to treat him like he's in live game action. And it's not a disrespectful way if it's twos. Like if he they are just running the offense, running it naturally, you know, not taking shots downfield, just kind of, hey, this is third and eight. We're gonna throw the ball because it's third and eight. And Kyle McCord gets the job done, that'd be great to see. Yeah, um, that's a good one. I'm excited to see Devin Brown get into the game as well. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like Devin Brown's going to get, like, 15 snaps max and do something crazy in them. Uh, I, I have this a, question he's a, for he's you. He's just a twitchy athlete, so. Yeah, I have this question for you. Two, like, there's two potential possibilities here. Do you think this is a game where they let C.J. Stroud just let it loose and let it rip? Or do you think they say, hey, we could just run all over these guys, Travion Henderson, 
uh, Mayan Williams have 220 rushing yards combined by halftime. So I think that's hard to answer because I think this is a game where there's going to be a lot of like three play drives where I mean, Travion book it right now. Travion touchdown runs 60 plus yards. So I think it's going to be one of those ones where like the stats could be crazy, but like Travion has like 10 carries and CJ has like 20 throws, but like CJ has like 400 yards and Travion has like 160. So it's like, I I, I think it's going to be more the CJ Stroud thing because you know, you can run the ball and you need like, you can't get game reps with the wide receivers without getting game reps. So I think it's going to be throwing, but I think, I mean, book it, uh, Right now, you hear you heard it here first. Uh, Travion Henderson is going to have a touchdown run of over sixty yards, and mine yeah. is going to have a run of over thirty. I'm booking it for sure. It was just a question I had because I think this is a game where you could easily just be like, "Hey, let's just get out of here. Let's win this game like forty-nine to like three, and we'll just run the we'll hammer them down." But I also was thinking about it from this perspective. You, if you had Evan Pryor still. I think you could, you know, get the additional reps to the running backs and let them run, you know, and just run amok, you know. I think, uh, but I, I don't think you want to waste pitch counts for them, you know. But I don't, like you said, I don't think Travion's going to need to. He's 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 built different. I don't think they're going to see a player like Travion in the Sun Belt this year. I, I mean, there's no thinking about it. They're absolutely not. Like, not even from a speed and strength standpoint. And, like, Mayan Williams, they won't see a player like him in the Sun Belt either. So, they're not going to be able to tackle him. Um, I, I, this is very, like, like insane. So, But I, I think the point you made about the game reps with the receivers, the incredibly important thing. Like, C.J. Stroud needs to throw balls to a mechanic because I want Julian Fleming. I hope he plays because he needs reps in game. Like, we know – Physically, he has everything you need to be a great receiver. He still needs to get in between the lines a little bit. And then opportunity for Jaden Ballard, Xavier Johnson to get more game reps in those kind of emergency situations they ended up in again. Yeah, absolutely. Build um, chemistry, you know, just kind of that stuff. Yeah, so I definitely I, – yeah, I, I think it's going to be a passing kind of thing. Maybe not a whole lot of deep shots and, and things. Just working on some concepts. I think it's going to – Could be a be big yards after concepts. catch game. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be. I think – if I don't know if Jackson's going to play, but uh, Jaden Ballard, 45-yard touchdown catch on a – I don't know how. It's either going it? to be – it's either uh, – let's do – 40 and then we can book it and see I don't know if it's going to be on a crossing route where he just runs past everyone or if it's going to be like Devin Brown just throwing a beautiful deep ball when we're up like 50 points corking one just like 40 people left in the stands <laughs> yeah that might uh, I'm, I'm, that might be the crazy play right there and we're, and we're all gonna sit here and talk about the future uh the devin brown to uh to a uh, Jaden ballard connection so yeah um 
Yeah, I just think it, it should be a fun game. And these games are definitely a lot more fun when you get the young players mixed in. Like, these games suck when it's dragging out and the coaches have to make a point because the effort wasn't there. And they're like, oh, you guys are playing through the third quarter because you guys didn't take the first half seriously. Like, oh, I, I hate when coaches use that as a time to teach a lesson. Yeah, I don't even want this to be one of those because Ryan Day is, is good for this. I don't even want this to be one of those games where CJ Stroud gets the first drive and the second in the second half where it's like yeah. you just want to get one more touchdown drive work on something you can do that against Toledo Toledo's a CJ Stroud should have a headset on by halftime yeah like I, he, he can come out in street clothes like, he's not yeah. touching the ball what was the game uh like this is a game I can see it playing out exactly the same when Ohio State played Miami of Ohio Miami had a 5-3 lead like eight minutes into the game and then Ohio State ripped off like I want to say 56 unanswered points <laughs> yeah and I think that's exactly how this game could play out because I could see them coming out flat but I don't see it s- sustaining I think they'd be like come on let's get off the field here let's get this done and let's make some plays guys like come on yeah uh, I don't know. It's, um, hard to, it's hard to get up for the game. You just came off a game against Notre Dame that's been talked about for nine months. Like, I, I don't think the first series is going to be very clean. And if it is clean, uh, just start the engines. Yeah, I feel like in most cases I would disagree. But the way the offense looked last week, I I think I think in most cases I would agree. But the way the offense looked last week, I disagree. I think that they're going to be want to make a statement to themselves. CJ Stroud's favorite phrase right now is proving ourselves right, and so I expect a little bit more from them uh, because not that they need it, of course, but I think that there's going to be slight motivation. Obviously, everyone in the program, yeah, yeah, everyone in the program and all that stuff, they know that like the offense did everything. It needed to do and that kind of stuff but you still hear the questions and so I think that they're going to want to like you only learn so much from Arkansas State but people are big up in Alabama for blowing out of nobody so they they want one of those types of performances to be like hey we're still the best offense in the country yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Uh, I, I could I could see that being very a real motivation to just be like, hey, we saw Alabama do this against Utah State. Let's make Arkansas State look even worse than that. Yeah. Um, this is my question, though. Does Ohio State beat Arkansas State worse than Georgia beat Oregon? What was the final score of that game? 49-3. Absolutely. Uh, they better, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I know I, we're 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 gonna we have some stuff posting. Oh no, we already posted it. Yeah, Georgia's our number one team right now. And bug off! Like, yeah. I don't think you could really argue about it. It's fair. They deserve it. They probably uh, should have been the number one team going in. I just think people default to Bama, but yeah. and they had they did lose some people. It's not like people were disrespecting them, but I think yeah, they probably should have been the number one team going in. That have been yeah, that was a quick fix. More than right. Like, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, he is. No, I didn't move Alabama or Ohio State down. I just moved Georgia up. Yeah, I mean, uh, but. Yeah, I, th- I just thought that was a funny question to ask because it's like, dang, they really did beat Oregon really badly. I, I will be looking in on that one because I still don't know what happened. 49-3. to three. Ohio State, I think they win this game like 
63 to like six, but I will save that for projection predictions. Yeah. Uh, anything else we can learn before we head to our final thoughts and our score prediction for the weekend? Um, the last thing I think that you can learn is you can learn which freshmen are ready because they're not all going to get in. Right. But once they start getting in and how early they get in, like, are they getting in in the fourth quarter when you're up a million or are some of them starting to get in in the third quarter where like maybe they're like maybe not exactly two on the depth chart, but they're like two and a half. Like, I fully expect Caden Curry to be the first player in the game uh, in, in the second half, where, like, C.J. Hicks may not, may you know, if he's not there yet, C.J. Hicks could potentially not get into the fourth quarter. So I think that's one of those things to kind of pay attention to is, like, if they're blowing them out, yeah. which freshmen are ready and see – playing time early versus which ones get in when it's the threes and the fours and you know the game is really out of control yeah absolutely uh two more things i want to talk about special teams real quick as a former special teams guy uh, does ohio state return a kick this week Ooh. Mm. this is one of the games that got to do it this or toledo I'm 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 gonna say yes. Omeka is gonna do it. Does Parker Fleming earn his his contract with it? His kickoff team. I think he earned a little bit of his money with the kickoff team and his punt team. Honestly, he's two for four so far this year. Oh, you said okay. Sorry. What is the new kicker's name? The one from USC. Uh, Jaden, oh Parker Lewis, he didn't play. Okay. It was Jaden Fielding, right. true freshman, so, walk on, big time. Yeah, so I heard Parker, and I thought kicker, and then you said yeah. contract, and I was like, what are you talking? It took me way too long because I forgot he was just. I, I just forgot he was on the staff. So <laughs> it took way too long to realize that you were talking about the special teams coordinator. Um, yeah, I mean honestly, yeah, I think I think. Breaking one is hard, but if if I will say this, if we average field position of like the 35 and one of them hits the 50, he's probably earned his contract, especially if the special teams units keeps tackling people in like the freaking 10 and the 15. Yeah, Um, that 25-yard differential is insane. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. Punt team was great last week. Punt return, a little suspect, but, you know, I think that was because he lost Jackson Smith to Jigba. It's kind of hard to earn your contract when you when it's at Ohio State, when Ohio State is one of the few teams in the country that makes good players play on special teams. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? Like, you, if I was a kick returner, like, I don't care how good of a kick returner I am. You couldn't pay me to field a kick and run up the field when Taraja Mitchell, Chip Trainum, uh, Xavier Johnson even are all running at me, dude. Like, no. that is not. Because it's like it's, the smallest guy on the field is laying the wood. All right. I want to walk when I'm 65 years old. Field goal. Like, I'm not doing this. Hey, we're taking it to the 25, coach. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that leads to my next question. Uh, their best player, Johnny Lang, is their kick returner and punt returner. Do you think he fair catches everything, or do you think he risks it and runs it out a little bit? He's absolutely not going to fair catch it because that's boring in college. I mean, there's so many bad situations that I've seen in week one of players who absolutely should have uh, 
fair caught it and didn't. I mean, Notre Dame. Notre Dame right? safe returners. So, yeah. so no, nah, and it's against Ohio State. He's going to be trying to make a name for himself. He's definitely not. Half the time, Ohio State's kickoff team was down there as the Notre Dame guy was catching the ball past the 20-yard line. They were already there. Yeah, which is absolutely nuts. Like, I don't know what those guys were doing. They were jacked up on something. But my favorite thing was just like, and this is my final thought, just the energy they played with on special teams. I thought the special teams, like, and people will kind of underestimate that. I thought our special teams were very bad last year, like, generally, uh, outside of kickoff. But even then, like, they would not kick it into the end zone. But now you've got three guys running down there where I'm like, never kick it in the end zone. They're going to get him yeah. inside the 20. And you have a guy who can kick it into the end zone. I will say this, and this is off topic. Do you know um, one of the most frustrating things about the Urban Meyer era? I do. Was how he handled kickoffs. And it's it's so crazy because, like, there were so many times where I saw other teams' players, like, catch the ball and, like, the one-foot-by-one-foot square box, like, right before the sideline in the end zone. And it's like, if you just didn't touch it, like – at least five out of ten times that kick is going out of bounds because he would always do the directional kick and the guy yeah. would always catch it and I'll just watch it. I'm like, if Stop I was the, if I was the opposing team's coach, I wouldn't catch any of them because it's either going to be a touchback or it's going out of bounds at least half the time because they're doing a directional kick and I just remember so many people catching it and I'm like, if you wouldn't have caught that, that'd have been out of bounds. You would have got the ball at the 35. I don't know how no one ever picked up on it. I guess technically you don't want to do that and the fair and the and the rare chance that it just sticks on the ground and the, the Ohio State team gets it because obviously a kickoff is live. But, like, I would go over there. And so if it didn't go into the end zone, I'll just lay on top, you know, whatever. And, like, sure, occasionally you may get bad field position. But I feel like more times than not, that was going out of bounds. And it was so frustrating. I'm like, why are you doing these directional, your kicker has to be perfect, coffin corner kicks. Just kick it out the freaking end zone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is frustrating. Uh, but, yeah, the freshman kicker laid uh, did it. And, you know, Noah Ruggles, shout out to your vacation. <laughs> oh, for one on field goals. Uh, Shouldn't have took a vacation, man. Shouldn't have took one. I spent, spent my final thoughts on special teams. We, you got a final thought on this show? I don't. My final thought is just football's back, man. Yeah. I'm going to stop saying it eventually did, because... Uh, this weekend did not have a lot of great games on the list, honestly, no, when I was looking for our games of the week. There's only like two and a half, and it's two and a half because all three of them are ranked matchups, but like not all of them are actually interesting. I think yeah. one of them is like, eh. But, yeah, hit uh, Tennessee I thought was interesting. really good. Florida versus Kentucky. That's a good one. That's a legit yeah, good that, one. And then the and other then one is at you got versus Texas, Alabama. That one's trash. Uh, yeah. At versus Texas A&M is a good one because App Upset could alert. absolutely win that game. So yeah, uh, but yeah. It's, I, the NFL starts this weekend. Yep. Uh, football, fantasy football for me starts this weekend. Or, or yeah. the road to redemption continues. My my final thought is not Ohio State related. My final thought is college football is brutal. And what they did to the ECU kicker is just it's sad. I wouldn't I wouldn't have kept him on scholarship. 
I, well, I would have kept him on scholarship because you pay for his school. I wouldn't have kept him on the team, but like he dealt with enough shame, and then he got his girlfriend taken publicly. Like brutal, just absolutely how, brutal. How did he get his girlfriend taken? You didn't see that. I did not. Um, I'm going to send it to you. So middle of the game, some dude posts a picture on Instagram and tags him with him. And he's all hugged up with his girl and he's throwing middle fingers. And then either the next picture over or in a separate post, he's tonguing down dude's girlfriend and he adds him again. Middle of the game after he missed all these kicks. People keep saying he missed a kick in a field goal. He actually missed more than that. I think he missed like three or four ticks total. But yeah, some just some fan is just out there like tonguing down his girlfriend at the game and tagging him with it on Instagram. So he's already bad yeah. and hurt and his teammates and coaches are yelling at him and all this other kind of stuff. And all you want to do is you want to lay up with your girlfriend and have her tell you it's going to be OK. And instead, that's you just got broken up with and she's tonguing down some stranger in the middle at the game and allowing him to post it on Instagram and tag you. Brutal. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, that's a final thought. Uh, <laughs> are we sure this guy's okay? I'm not, I don't I'm, I wouldn't be. Someone needs to check on him, please. Like I'd be in another country by now if I was him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, alright, that's a final thought. Score prediction. Uh I'm trying to add field goals, and it always takes me too long. Because it's going to be a field goal. It's not going to be all touchdowns. I'm going to go 66 to 6. 66 to 6. All right, I'm going to go 56. I can't do that. 66 to to 3. I'm going to go 56 to 0. Oh, a shutout? I like that. I'm calling my shot. That's the only one I'm calling this year. Hey, that would be that would be something. We haven't had a shutout in a while, so I think they call off the dogs offensively, but I don't think they do it defensively. I just feel like they're gonna call off the dogs and then Devin Brown's gonna come in and score a touchdown that they didn't want him to score. Yeah, you can't call off that dog. I was between fifty nine and sixty six, and I was like, if you're gonna get to fifty nine, they're gonna call off the dogs, and then Devin yeah, Brown's gonna come in. Devin Brown's gonna run. They're gonna have run inside zone. He's just gonna pull it without like <laughs> it's not actually gonna be called. He's gonna house it. He's gonna be running out of at the line of scrimmage. Like <laughs> he's gonna break it to empty. It's like we're running two minute offense here. Yeah. So so that's gonna be it's gonna be one of those ones where like I don't think he was supposed to do that. But um yeah yeah uh yeah that's it for me. You guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can find the show up on Golf Pod. We've got some online digital content that's going on twitter every week now so that's fun uh, make sure you're following along we're making predictions we're doing all that stuff uh where do we find you at jordan uh yep you can find me at jordan w330 awesome that'll be it go oh that's your thing uh beat arkansas state <laughs> go bucks <laughs>